Good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to be at Auburn this morning and to be with uh, other people who have uh, come to terms with daylight saving time. Uh, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, said that all Methodist preachers had to be prepared to uh, preach, pray, or die at a minute's notice. And I'm not sure if that included be ready on uh, daylight saving time, time change as well. But uh, it kind of feels like that. And so uh, it is early, but I'm hoping and praying that uh, the, uh, uh, that your coming this morning will be uh, spiritually valuable. So I love the parables. Um, Lloyd John Ogilvie, the former uh, <coughs> chaplain of the United States Senate, said that the parables were the autobiography of God. And uh, we're now into the Lenten season, moving towards the season of the cross. And uh, no better place to uh, discover uh, who God is than by looking at the stories that Jesus told. Uh, Sarah very kindly has put on the front page of your uh, bulletin the little blurb that uh, uh, Pastor Brett likes for uh, the... uh, getting the stage set for Sunday morning. And it is on this idea of fairness and the grace of God that I want to speak this morning. And uh, it's also uh, tied up with uh, the idea of how we, um, ex- how we not only accept the grace of God that we have been given, but how we understand that grace uh, to be given to others. And, I mean, that's, that's about as Lenten a theme as you can get because of the fact that um, Jesus not only gave his life, but he gave his life for us. There was, there was reason for him to do that. So here's this familiar uh, parable that's been preached many, many, many times just before the triumphal entry. Triumphal entry is Matthew 21. This is just in the days or even hours before triumphal entry. Matthew chapter 20, beginning to read at verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received the denarius. So when those who came were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. 
Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus, would you help us to understand a wee bit better today what your grace is really all about? We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sarah very kindly has uh, printed the outline of the message that I have for you this morning on that green insert. You're welcome to follow that along if you wish, uh, and uh, you'll see where I'm going as uh, we travel through these 16 verses together. Let's be honest. This is one of those parables of Jesus that we just don't like. The idea of a person being paid the same amount for a one-hour shift as a 12-hour shift smacks of unfairness and injustice. But with every story Jesus told, there was meaning for the people who heard the parable then, and there is meaning for us who hear it now. And like the disciples who heard the story 2,000 years ago, we too will feel uncomfortable, perhaps even angry, unless we see the story not from our perspective, but from God's. So the story that Jesus told goes like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. So let's, right off the bat, get the parameters straight. This is a story about the kingdom of heaven. If you read the account, the same parable in the Gospel of Mark, it will say this is a story about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are synonyms in the Gospel accounts. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them out into the vineyard. Now, the denarius was the right amount of pay for a day laborer in the first century. So the the pay was never an issue. It was the right amount of pay. It wasn't overpaid. It wasn't underpaid. It was fair pay for a day's labor. Let's assume that it was the first hour of the day when that first group of workers were hired, 6 o'clock in the morning. Verse 3 says, At 9 o'clock in the morning he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing, He said to them, go to work and I will pay you, quote, whatever is right. So they went out. Verse 5, it tells us that at 12 noon and 3 o'clock, the same thing took place. He went out, saw that there were people still in the marketplace. That was where you went uh, to, to find day labor would be the marketplace. He went there and he hired them too, even though in the case of the 11th hour, five o'clock in the afternoon, there was only one hour left in the working day because Israel's basically on the equator and the sun goes, <clears throat> comes up at seven and goes down at seven every day. So that's the working day. There's no long summer days like we enjoy and are looking forward to so very much in our culture. So at six o'clock, it's quitting time. These are day laborers and it's time to pay up. So he starts, interestingly, with the last that he has hired, and he pays them first. 
So in verse 9, we're told that the people that were hired at the 11th hour, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, were paid one denarius. It turns out, as the pay slips were handed out, that everyone was receiving a denarius, no matter what time of day they started. So verse 10 reads, When those came who had been hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. So what did they do? They filed a grievance with the union. No, they grumbled. And did they grumble really, really well. These men worked one hour when the sun was going down. We worked under the blazing sun, and you have made them, here's the key phrase, equal to us. In the early 1970s, my dad was a pastor of the Frankfurt Free Methodist Church just uh, north of Trenton. And uh, one of my early, early uh, summer jobs <clears throat> was picking strawberries in a farmer's field. Every time I go by that field, I look in, uh, to the south. It's on, uh, if you know that area at all, between Orland and Wooler. There's a, there's a road between Orland and Wooler. Uh, ties uh, the two little communities together. And on the south side of that county road, I look into that field every time I go down that road on the way to Wesley Acres and think, that was the worst employment I ever had. I can't imagine what would have happened if the farmer who, far who hired us to pick strawberries had paid everybody the same amount no matter what time of the day they began in that terrible, terrible job of picking strawberries. So he responds. The, the landowner responds to those who had been hired at the first hour of the day. Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Verse 13, didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the men who were hired the, the last the same as I gave you you don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money or are you envious because I am generous and then this incredible upside down phrase that occurs so many times in the gospels so the last will be first and the first will be last all right a couple of observations before we get into the meat of what this means first this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. It is not a Christian statement on employer-employee relations. There have been times in history where it has been used as a way to justify uh, very, very unfair and unjust uh, labor management rules. And that's not what this story is all about. That's not Jesus' purpose in telling this story at all. Rather, this is a parable about salvation, about grace. God is the landowner, the hearer of this story. He is the one who does the hiring, and he is the one who determines the pay. Which brings me to my first point, which is a definition of the grace of God. God, his grace is really his generosity. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Hear that one adjective there? Unmerited. 
It is His generosity to us. We deserve nothing from Him. He owes us nothing. It is a purely love, grace, gift. So at no time in this story is God unfair or unjust. A denarius was the right amount for a day's labor. The persons who were hired at the first hour were not gypped or taken advantage of in any way. He agreed to pay the first persons hired a denarius. He tells the ones hired at 9 a.m. he will pay them whatever is right. At the end of the day, when the pay envelopes are going out, no one is underpaid. It's just that many of them are overpaid. And that's what got the six o'clock working crew really worked up. And that's what gets us worked up too. But, but should we? Should we be upset by that? No, we should not be upset by that. In fact, if we uh, chafe at this idea, at this parable of grace, it's probably because we've slipped into what I'd like to call a works righteousness mentality. Let me illustrate. Person A comes to faith when they're a child. They make their commitment to Christ and never waver. They're totally committed. They never look back. They serve the Lord. They're committed to their local church. They have the assurance that their sins are forgiven and heaven will be their eternal home. Person B is the town drunk. Raised in a Christian home, but lived his entire life outside of Christ. Grew up in a place of faith, but walked away, willingly walked away, chose to walk away. Now at the end of his days, he's dying. Happened just before I left my ministry at the Peterborough Free Methodist Church. Had a phone call, one of the weirdest phone calls of my entire pastoral life. This gentleman calls and said, I'm calling for a friend. He says, um, do you anoint for healing in people's homes? I'm thinking, where, where did this come from? Like, who asked that kind of a question? Turned out that the man uh, who had grown up in a free Methodist home in a free Methodist church had walked away from the Lord and, and had had surgery, uh, had lung cancer, and had uh, a tracheotomy, could not speak. And he had asked his friend to call me to see if I would come to his home to anoint him with oil. He knew enough of his Christian memory to know that that was, a, was part of, of Christian theology, the anointing of healing, anointing for healing. And so a friend calls on behalf of friend and myself and a lay visitor from our congregation go to that home and have the joy of leading him to the Lord and anointing him uh, for the healing of his body. Unfortunately, the cancer was too far gone, and it was around a year later that I conducted his funeral. But there's an example right there. Person A, probably an awful lot of us here in this building today, who are, who are only uh, 
our only direction from the time of childhood was to serve the Lord Jesus. It was so, the faith of our parents, maybe our grandparents, those that were big influencers in our life, was so winsome, we didn't want anything else. And then they have the others. And there's examples, I'm sure, in this congregation, even though I do not know your congregation, I'm sure your minds have already moved to someone who grew up maybe even here at Auburn, but within the community here in the city of Peterborough, but walked away. Now at the end of his days, her days, dying, a Christian pastor, a Christian worker, walks into the hospital room at the 11th hour. The woman, the man is open to the gospel, knows it all from childhood, and in that moment receives Christ as Savior and enters God's new world. We, we say that we believe in being saved by grace until we hear a story like that and then somehow... Uh, we chafe. Uh, Peter, they did too. <laughs> Peter and the disciples, if you go back up to the last story in Matthew chapter 19, uh, Peter says to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. We're really good people. So therefore, there's going to be more for us by implication than for those who haven't followed you or haven't followed you yet. What then will, will there be for us? Jesus says the very same phrase that he ends Matthew 20, Matthew 20, verse 20 with. He says, but many who are first will be last, and those who are last will be first. And then the conclusion of this parable. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the first will be last and the last will be first. So this is a parable about God's grace, his undeserved favor. All you can do is receive it. You cannot earn it. If you will not take it, you cannot have it. It's a take it or leave it situation. And if you think that you should have it because of all the good things you have done, you've fallen into the ditch of works unrighteousness and it's time to do spiritual inventory. Because grace is grace whether it's offered at the first hour or the eleventh hour. And it pays the very same dividend. But there's a second issue that I think this parable brings to us and, and makes it practical for us as we live our lives in 2017. The second issue is how we respond to this grace. It, you see, it, it's, it's God's generosity that gives us this grace, this saving faith. This keeping power is one of my uh, wonderful older friends' praise. He says, thank you, Lord, for your saving grace and keeping power. That's a great definition of God's generosity. But there's a second issue, and that is not only God's generosity, but then our generosity. How does our generosity, in terms of how we relate to this idea of grace, link with God's generosity? generosity to us. 
Dr. Ellsworth Callis was one of my favorite preaching professors. He just passed away in uh, November at the age of 92. Uh, he had, uh, I think it's 35 books that he has written. And one of my favorites is, uh, I actually gave you the footnote uh, on the bottom of the green piece of paper. <clears throat> it's uh, parables from the backside, Bible stories with a twist. And in that book, he opens up another perspective on this parable. He gets at this issue of, of the supposed lack of fairness from the perspective of those who are not hired till the end of the day. The ones hired at the beginning of the day thought it unfair that those hired at the end received the same pay. But, this is Dr. Ellsworth's question, why were the laborers hired at the 11th hour still available for work? Well, verse 6, about the 11th hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? And their answer, because no one has hired us. It appears that they were ready and available for work. Uh, they were dressed, they had the proper tools, but there were no employment offers given. Was it their fault that they were still standing there at the 11th hour? No, it was not their fault. They were waiting for someone to hire them. We had this happen in Canadian history with the Great Depression. Was it because people didn't want to work that we had great lines of people at soup kitchens? No. It was because of the economic situation of the day that there was no work available. Now remember that this is a parable about grace, God's unmerited favor, that, that the only way we can have it is if we take it, if we receive it on God's terms. The second issue then becomes, what do we do with the grace that we have been given? There's a sense in which we now have become the conduits of grace. There's a sense in which we are now the ones who are doing the hiring. It's, there's a sense in which we are now the ones who are going to the marketplace and seeing if there is anyone there who needs work, who has not yet been employed, who is waiting till the 11th hour. You see, it's, it's not only take it, and receive it, but it's give it, offer it, and take it early in life so that you can live in his grace all of your life. But don't forget, forget to give it away even if it's the 11th hour of another person's life. Well, you say, I really don't have much of a testimony. I, I, I did come to faith as a child. I, I don't have a before and after. I don't have a black and white. Well, I have a wee story to tell you about that. That's a, that is my story, um, my own personal story. Although I grew up in a, a pastor's home and did have um, a great deal of questions, still do, about all the things that are part of Christian theology, um, I, I didn't have a, a rebellious social life. It didn't attract me in any way, shape, or form. I was more of a bookworm than I was uh, all those other uh, things that were out there in society in the 1970s. 
And so I, I went to uh, Roberts Wesleyan College, which is our Free Methodist University in Rochester, New York. Not really sure that I would uh, move into ministry at that point. It's a university, and so I was dabbling in a number of different fields. Uh, on one occasion, uh, our New Testament professor, Dr. Stanley McGill, uh, took a group of us to uh, Houghton College. Houghton is a Wesleyan school on the southern tier of, of uh, New York State. Some of you have probably heard of it as well. Uh, Dr. Bernard Ram, who was a very significant uh, Christian uh, scientist at that time and now gone to be with the Lord, died in 1992, uh, wrote a number of books, Protestant Christian Evidences, Christian View of Science and Scripture. He was speaking at Houghton. And uh, Dr. McGill thought that uh, there was a, a, a number of us that should be exposed to, to Dr. Ram. And, uh, you know, honestly, I don't remember a thing of what Dr. Ram said. I remember that it was good. But what I remember was the conversation that I had with Dr. McGill in his car as we were motoring uh, from Rochester down to Houghton and back up again. I, I, I told him a bit about my story and... and uh, I think I used the phrase something like, uh, you know, I, I really don't have much of, of a testimony. I don't have much grace to give away. And, and, and Dr. McGill said, Lloyd Air, when you get home tonight, you get on your knees in your room in Carpenter Hall, and you thank God for everything he's protected you from. That's Grace. That's the grace of God, the protecting grace of God. And that, if that's your story, that's your grace gift. Not what he took you out of, but what he kept you from. And that is as just a power, as powerful a testimony as the testimony of a person who has had um, deep regrets about what took place in their life that they wish never had taken place. Dr. Callis, uh, in his conclusion to uh, his piece on this uh, parable in Matthew chapter 20, uh, writes something very similar. And again, Sarah very kindly has printed it in that green, on that green sheet of paper, part of it. I'd like to read his words as the conclusion of the message this morning. This is, a, at this point, I think Dr. Callis, when he wrote this particular book, was in his, somewhere in his 80s. I was fortunate, so magnificent fortunate, to become a Christian when I was not quite 11 years old. I was hired early in the morning at the beginning of life's day. So it is that I have been blessed through all my life with a sense of life's purpose, value, and beauty. How dare I then be bitter about those who have waited all day in the marketplace? If at the end of the journey they are blessed with an eternity as good as mine, shall I envy those who have gone through life with no clear goal, battling their way through disillusionment and despair because life hasn't hired them? To the contrary, when I stand before the great landowner as he passes out the silver pieces of eternity, I might well take mine and say, give part of this to that poor soul who didn't come to faith in Christ until he was 60 years old, and to that woman who became a believer only when she was dying. I've been employed all my days, have been blessed by a purpose, even by communion with God. Give them part of my reward, because they stood in the marketplace for so long, because no one hired them while my whole life was filled with purpose. 
But for now, let us look around the marketplace of life and see if perhaps we can lead some waiting there to a place of employment. Let us go to life's corner in Christ's name and say, God wants to hire you. I speak as one of his hiring agents. Stand idle no longer. There is meaning to be had in life. Come quickly to the vineyard of God's will. Let us pray. Lord, uh, this morning we are deeply grateful for your grace. It is your grace that has brought us safe thus far, and it is grace that will lead us home. We thank you for your generosity. And now we're asking that you would give to us the same spirit of generosity that you have revealed. Father, in the giving of your Son, Jesus, in the dying on the cross. Holy Spirit, in the work of, your Holy, of the Spirit in our world, convincing and convicting. Lord, we ask for those that um, are here this morning who have made uh, early, firm, solid commitments to you and who are living in the glow of your grace. Thank you for each one of us that feel that way this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to never underestimate or undervalue the grace given early in life. But at the same time, we ask that in our contentment and in our peace, that you would help us to realize that, that really now we're the ones that are offering grace. We're the conduits of grace by not only our, our lives, but our words. And there may be some poor traveler that uh, needs you, that we're uh, so consciously aware of, that is outside of the ark of safety, perhaps was raised in the ark of safety, but has moved away. We pray, Father, that you would help us to know that uh, your grace was given to us as a generous gift, and now you're asking us to be generous with that gift that we have been given. And we'll thank you in your name. Amen.